0: It's been more than two years since my peer-reviewed criticism of integrated information theory, IIT, was published. That was my first paper on the temporally integrated causality landscape, an approach which suggested a necessary reframing that might put such theories back on the right track. The response from those whom I thought of as the target audience has been total silence. On the other hand, my ideas have received the attention of others in the field of consciousness neuroscience. Generally, the TICL has been well received by those who have taken a close look at it, at least those who have made themselves known to me. My guess is that Giulio Tononi and his colleagues have not even read my work. Perhaps this is further evidence of the same myopia which has led IIT astray. If its protagonists are unable to see the glaring flaws in their own theory, they are unlikely to appreciate the valuable insights in mine. Moreover, I am aware that my knowledge is limited, that the TICL is in need of further development and perhaps even overhaul. To the extent that my reasoning and intuition are leading me away from the truth, I am in want of correction. I mean this in both senses of wanting. To that extent, I am in want in the sense that I am not living up to the best standards and expectations, and I also want very much to fix that. I came across a paper which is critical of integrated information theory in some of the ways that I have been. The paper is called The Integrated Information Theory of Consciousness, A Case of Mistaken Identity. The authors are Bjorn Merker, Kenneth Williford, and David Rudroff. For our purposes, I'll call it Merker et al. In many ways, this paper represents a better, more thorough attack on IIT than I was able to put together. My own work differs in that I focus on the failure of IIT to represent temporal continuity, and secondly, I offer the structure of a solution. In Merkur et al., the authors begin, quote, Giulio Tononi's integrated information theory, IIT, proposes explaining consciousness by directly identifying it with integrated information. We examine the construct validity of IIT's measure of consciousness, phi, by analyzing its formal properties, its relation to key aspects of consciousness, and its co-variation with relevant empirical circumstances. Our analysis shows that IIT's identification of consciousness with the causal efficacy with which differentiated networks accomplish global information transfer, which is what phi, in fact, measures, is mistaken. This misidentification has the consequence of requiring the attribution of consciousness to a range of natural systems and artifacts that include but are not limited to large-scale electrical power grids, gene regulation networks, some electronic circuit boards, and social networks. Instead of treating this consequence of the theory as a disconfirmation, IIT embraces it. By regarding these systems as bearers of consciousness, x hypothesis. IIT is led toward the orbit of panpsychist ideation. This departure from science as we know it can be avoided by recognizing the functional misattribution at the heart of IIT's identity claim. We show, for example, what function is actually performed, at least in the human case, by the cortical combination of differentiation with integration that IIT identifies with consciousness. Finally, we examine what lessons may be drawn from IIT's failure to provide a credible account of consciousness, progress in the very active field of research concerned with exploring the phenomenon from formal and neural points of view, unquote. Consciousness was the mystery which compelled me to become a neuroscience, neuroscientist in the first place. As my doctoral training was coming to an end and my postdoctoral work was beginning, I turned my attention from a more informed vantage point back upon the problem of Consciousness. Catching up with the field of consciousness research and theory exposed me to global neuronal workspace and critically to IIT. I soon came to admire the approach IIT had taken. To begin with the certain phenomenological features in as simple and precise a manner as possible, and then to discover their correlates in the functioning of the brain. I now had a fairly strong education in the structures and functions of the brain, along with a range of technical literacies that would enable me to understand the relevant bodies of evidence. I was now able to evaluate the problem and its proposed solutions with something like rigor. At the same time, I wanted to avoid being captured by the pre-existing frames that had been established in the field, so I got to work developing a comprehensive framework of my own. I used an approach similar to that taken by Tononi, which is to begin with the phenomenology, to place that on the left side of a nascent equation. I narrowed down the essential features of consciousness as occurs in the human mind to five. I said, as I have shared with you many times before, that human consciousness is a unified composition of contents. The contents are specific and meaningful, and they exist from a point of view. Human consciousness is continuous in time. It is limited, and coherent. Each of these statements can be clarified and described as I've done in prior episodes. In fact, I've done entire episodes of this podcast on each of those features independently and in many combinations. I believe these to be more or less exhaustive. So the left side of my equation is pretty well in place. The phenomenological description is situated. As As for the right side of the equation, we have countless studies to draw upon. There's a lot of agreement in the field about these studies, which give us a pretty good body of shared neural correlates of conscious states and their contents. So what is the physical relationship between the phenomenological characteristics of the mind and the neural correlates in the brain? How do we make this a true equation, one with an equal sign in bold occupation of its center? IIT, I think, does this incorrectly. The phenomenological axioms have been contaminated by the formalizations on the right side of the equation. As phi has come to be defined, it has necessitated the revision of phenomenology such that it no longer agrees with what we know. As a result, phi is a formal description of something, but not of the conscious mind. My main sources of discontent with the framework are embodied in its exclusion principle. I have made this clear in my published work. Unfortunately, the authors of the paper I'm discussing today were either not aware of my writing or didn't think it was worth crediting. Probably they were unaware, as the problem with IIT's exclusion principle is there to be discovered by anyone qualified to put the theory under scrutiny. I'm grateful to the authors, though, that they have taken on the task of criticizing IIT more fully and formally. This is work that I could not have done myself, nor did I need to for the purpose of establishing my own framework. I corrected the left side of the equation and then informally but carefully defined the expected physical description belonging on the right side. Thankfully, I did not have the hubris to attempt a formalization of my proposal. I knew that this would require outside input and collaboration. What I didn't do was to force something formal on the right side of the equation and then to adulterate the phenomenology and bend it out of shape. That I think is what Tononi did with integrated information. He drew conclusions too quickly. He was overconfident in the identity between consciousness and integrated information, so he took the identity for granted and misshaped the phenomenology. Merker et al. write, quote, One of the research programs currently aspiring to this paradigmatic position is the body of work constituting the integrated information theory, IIT, of consciousness, propounded by Giulio Tononi and colleagues. As a candidate paradigm for a scientific account of consciousness, it deserves thorough scrutiny in its conceptual, formal, and empirical aspects. This is all the more so because according to IIT, consciousness is not uniquely associated with animal brains and their potential creations, for example, artificial consciousness and machines, but extends, as we shall see, to natural objects and artifacts much farther afield. As a consequence, aspects of panpsychist metaphysics have begun to take on the appearance of relevance to the conceptual framework of IIT." This is unfortunate, I think. When your theory makes outlandish predictions about the world, it's time to review the theory, not the world. Your theory might be right, of course, but it's probably not. Sticking to the theory in contradiction to the evidence looks more like ideology than science. We begin with the observation that there is something special about the human and probably the animal brain. It somehow produces or is characterized by subjective states of experience. This is astonishing, given all we have learned about the objective universe in materialist terms. We want to know what makes it special, so we conduct decades of neuroscientific research, which gives us lots of facts and pieces of evidence to put together. Based upon those facts, we construct a theory. IIT is such a theory, one which provides a mathematical formula. Researchers take the IIT formula out into the world and discover that it applies to phenomena all over the place. But instead of concluding that IIT is incorrect since we are after what makes the brain have a rare and special capacity, they overthrow the starting premise and say that there is nothing special about what the brain is doing after all. I don't think this is justified. I think the drawing board is calling us back. Merker et al. write, quote, IIT identifies consciousness with integrated information. That is, according to IIT, consciousness just is integrated information, a constitutive claim. According to the IIT, consciousness is one and the same thing as integrated information. Much, therefore, hinges on how integrated information and its measure, phi, are understood in IIT. In its latest version, integrated information is construed as the extent to which the causal structures of a system for example, the brain, achieves state transitions that cannot be reduced to the joint transitions of their parts independently of one another. More colloquially expressed, integrated information is the amount of information generated by a complex of elements above and beyond the information generated by its parts. Such an informational difference is an attribute of those parts of a system whose causal structure exhibits a kind of complexity that combines system differentiation with integration that is the bedrock on which IIT rests its identification of integrated information with consciousness unquote. the authors go on quote, IIT not only identifies consciousness with integrated information it proposes a formal algorithmic approach for quantifying the degree to which a physical system exhibits integrated information and thus x hypothesis consciousness a system here is understood as a set of potentially active nodes in their interconnections, that is, a network in the graph-theoretic sense. Without entering too heavily into technical details, the key operation in the way IIT measures the extent to which such a system combines integration and differentiation is first to analyze the behavior under iterated perturbation of each of its subsets of nodes or elements in terms of the quantification of information transfer across all the bipartitions of the subset under consideration, in each direction, and across each bipartition. The extent to which information transfer within such a subset is not accounted for by the separate behaviors of its bipartitions is the extent to which that subset integrates information as measured by a scalar quantity, phi. There are many circumstances in which such a procedure would identify multiple system subsets with substantial phi. On IIT's identification of consciousness with integrated information, this would entail the coexistence of multiple consciousnesses in a single system, at a given time, rather than a single, unified consciousness, as phenomenology and parsimony considerations would seem to dictate. IIT eliminates the possibility of multiple consciousnesses in a single system by fiat, through an axiom of exclusion that stipulates that only the subset with the largest phi, or phi max, is the conscious one." Yep, that's just what I said about it in my first paper on the TICL. It looks to me as though the theorists started in good faith to the phenomenology, which is to say the left side of a hypothetical equation. Then they got to work forming postulates that would formalize what they had. But they ran into problems on the right side of the equation, developing formal mathematical definitions of the phenomenology. So they made some decisions that were convenient mathematically. This secured the right side of the equation, but required fudging the left side to make it fit. It's not very scientific what they did. I'm reminded of the Mitch Hedberg joke. In one of his specials, he said, I write jokes for a living. I sit at my hotel at night. I think of something that's funny. Then I go get a pen, and I write it down. Or, if the pen is too far away, I have to convince myself that what I thought of ain't funny. You see, that's what Tononi and his colleagues did. Rather than sticking to their best characterization of consciousness and letting the chips fall how they will, they decided the math was too far out of reach. So they took the math that was in reach and called that good enough. Obviously, the problem which is implied by this approach is that what their math is describing is no longer phenomenal consciousness. I get it, we have to work with models, but the IIT theorists aren't claiming that integrated information is a good model for consciousness. They're claiming that integrated information is consciousness. I'm not really qualified to evaluate what phi is truly measuring, but Merker et al. apparently are. In the paper, they point out that the current version of IIT works only for discrete and memoryless systems, and that the required computation of phi grows exponentially with the number of elements in the system. For this reason, the measure is only implemented with model systems of less than 20 elements. They write, quote, as a result of these various obstacles to empirical testing, a number of proxy measures for phi have been developed. However, relating these to phi is problematic because even variant measures that share similar theoretical properties can behave in substantially different ways, even on simple systems. For example, variant measures of integrated information do not agree on the relative ranking of integration scores across the members of a diverse set of network types. This seems to undermine the validity of current proxy measures as stand-ins for phi, and counsels extreme caution in attempting to relate experimental results obtained by proxy measures to the theoretical claims of IIT. In this discouraging situation, much would be gained if there were a way of exploring integrated information apart from the formalism of IIT. A way to do so has, in fact, been provided by the recent development of a method that removes the principal computational bottleneck in measuring integrated information, namely the problem of finding the so-called minimum information by partition within a system. This construct, also known as the cruelest cut, is the terminus of the search across bipartitions the one with the least causal interdependence across the partition. It is this crucial step in determining phi that is subject to a combinatorial explosion over the number of elements of the system. Toker and Sommer have remedied this computational bottleneck by applying the graph-theoretic method of spectral clustering to the search problem. Integrated information can now be assessed on large arrays of neural time-series data, as demonstrated by a proof-of-principle analysis of electrocorticogram time-series data from 125 electrodes distributed across one cerebral hemisphere in each of two macaques. The Toker-Sommer advance sheds much-needed light on the IIT formalism. By showing that its measure of integrated information, phi, tracks the extent to which differentiated dynamic networks achieve efficiency in their global information transfer. For ease of reference, we shall refer to such networks generically as efficient networks, irrespective of the details of how they combine integration with differentiation, and with the proviso that efficiency here refers strictly to the efficiency with which a differentiated network accomplishes global information transfer. Phi, it turns out, is one measure of this network property." But doesn't this mean that the IIT measure of integrated information is just an account of a system's efficiency? Maybe efficiency of information transfer is valuable for a complex evolved brain to serve its functions regardless of having consciousness. It could be that a certain level of network efficiency is required for consciousness to emerge, but to identify the efficiency of a system with whether it is like something to be such a system is a long stretch. Something like integrated information or integrated causality is, I think, critical to understanding consciousness as it is manifest in neural systems. With IIT, though, my concern is that the theorists started with a set of self-evident properties of subjective experience, say axioms A, B, C, D, and E. Then, in order to make their mathematical formalism work, wound up shifting some of their starting premises. Now they had a mathematical description of a phenomenon having axioms A, B, C, F, and G but F and G are not actually true of consciousness. They are mistakes. Let me try out an analogy. Suppose we're on an expedition to find the Holy Grail. We start with the premise that the treasure we seek is a golden vessel featuring three sapphires and a ruby, and which endows whoever drinks from it with eternal youth. Let's say that we have ample reason to believe the Holy Grail is real. Keep in mind, we are building an analogy to human consciousness, something which we have plenty of reason to believe exists. So we are looking for the Holy Grail. We expect to find this artifact hidden in the depths of a castle. So we conduct a search of every castle in the land. In our search, we stack up a massive pile of treasures. Of these, one is a golden vessel featuring three sapphires and a ruby. It's a cup made of gold, and it has the right gemstones, but it doesn't grant eternal youth. We've got two potential conclusions to choose from. Either this is indeed the Holy Grail, but it doesn't have the special property for which it was being sought, or this is not the genuine Holy Grail, just an artifact with some superficially similar qualities. Let's say we go with the first option. This is the cup of legend, but the legend was wrong in one crucial way. But then, over the next few years, proceed to discover dozens of other artifacts of the same kind, golden chalices with three sapphires and a ruby, none of, which bestow, was, none of which bestows eternal youth. It turns out these cups are commonplace in castle treasure troves. How shall we interpret this development? Should we conclude that there are scores of holy grails, but none of them has the special property upon which the legend is based? Or should we conclude that none of these is the holy grail and get back to work? The IIT scientists set out to find the physical identity of conscious being. They started with the premise that there are describable, discernible, and self-evident characteristics of consciousness. They translated these into expected properties of their holy grail. With those properties in hand, they went exploring the castles of mathematical formulation to find a match, but they couldn't find the match. Instead, they found something close, but which had no evidence of exhibiting the key characteristics of their grail. They had two choices, either redefine what the Grail's properties are to fit what they found and insist on calling it the Holy Grail, or accept that what they found in the castles of mathematical formulation, those heaps of interesting artifacts, did not include the Holy Grail. Tough call, maybe. Perhaps consciousness is the kind of formulation they found and doesn't really have all the characteristics we thought. But then, the mathematical formulation showed that consciousness occurs in data servers and social networks and thermostats, and fish finders. In other words, what they were labeling the Holy Grail turned out to be a commonplace artifact. But even with this discovery in hand, they continue to stand their ground. Consciousness here, there, and everywhere. That's actually the title of one of the papers in the IIT literature. Perhaps integrated information, as quantified by Phi, is nothing more than a correlated phenomenon, a measure of the efficiency of a complex nervous system. What they are measuring might even be necessary as a correlate of consciousness, but it is hardly sufficient. There are a lot of fine soldiers out here in the kingdom with a deep and abiding interest in this quest, with skills and ideas that could be brought to bear upon its fulfillment. We all want the Holy Grail to be found and we all want to play our part, but I'm not waiting around to be knighted by the king. I'll do what I can from the countryside. Meanwhile, half of the round table appear to be tilting at windmills. Perhaps that's to be expected. After all, Camelot is a silly place.